We all good, Randy? All right. Welcome for the uh, final week of my three-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, in the first two weeks, we have studied, we went over, what did we go over? The first six, first six fruit of the Spirit. Um, love, joy, uh, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Um, we have gone through um, the last two weeks, and we'll, as we'll continue to go this week, um, I've been looking at the uh, language in the Greek that Paul used, and then cross-referencing it to see what we may learn about each of these, uh, each of the fruit of the Spirit that is, is referenced. Um, as we've gone through so far, um, I've noticed that most of these fruits, they kind of um, seem to work together. Um, the love, and the joy, and the patience, and uh, the kindness and goodness, they all kind of, um, it seems like you need to be well-developed in some areas to have some of these areas also to take effect. Um, I think that goodness and kindness comes from some of that patience that we see. And how each of these fruits also helps us display an aspect, I think, of um, who God is and his character towards us and how he creates us. And and that we are, in that striving to be um, holy and be um, righteous, um, we think that the Spirit has come upon us and that we... Um, through these, through His help and through the help of the Spirit, that we can grow these fruits and help them be um, abundant in our life, and that we can, uh, through them, display God's um, a, a small image of of who God is. And so that takes us to um, brings us to faithfulness. Um, I will say that after last week and the limited cross references, there was an abundant amount of cro- of cross references for faithfulness. Um, it cross-reference to um, the faith. The Greek word used was um, pistis, which was uh, provided in the usage was faith, belief, trust, confidence, fidelity. And what I find uh, uh, extremely helpful, faithfulness. It's always always great when you look in the, in the concordance and the word that you're looking at is also described as the definition. <clears throat> um, and looking at the usage of faith within the context of the fruit of the Spirit, it's more than just the belief in something. Faithfulness is the belief in God and that God is who he says he is, and that he will do what he says he will do. Um, the first um, example that we turn to, um, many of us will be familiar with, but um, it's Hebrews 11, and I will turn there as well, because I was told that I was flipping through a little too quickly. Um, it didn't give some people enough time to, to get to the verses, so um, I have mixed in references on my sheet, and actually turned into the Bible to give everybody a little, a little chance to, to catch up to me. And so Hebrews 11, um, as we'll go through, um, is essentially kind of the uh, the triumphs of faith, the hall of faith, um, historical references of the people who, who lived in faith. And so we'll just kind of start at the beginning. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And remember that that hope is not a wishful hope, but that hope in, in God, that hope in his promises. For... Um, by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the words that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which were visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness 
that before his being when taken up was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of of righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going on to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at, at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven, in number and innumerable as the sands which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. And it continues to go on. Um, they mentioned that they mentioned every person who has faith that there would be not, not enough time to, um, to cover it. And I am going to uh, stick with that as, as well. Excuse me. Um, we also see some other examples um, we see some examples, obviously, across the Bible. Um, I was also looking at Ephesians six fourteen through 16. And there it says, Stand firm, therefore, having belted your waist with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having strapped on your feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish in all extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And then our last example that I'm going to, to use right now is another story that a lot of us are familiar with. It's, um, the version is coming from Luke 7, 2 through 10, and it's the faith of the centurion. Now a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come to save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they strongly urged him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant him, to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, but already when he was not yet far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to enter under my roof. For that reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under myself, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even one in Israel have I found with such great faith. And those who had seen, who had been sent, returned to the house, they found the slave in good health, Ultimately, faithfulness is the belief that God, that the God who made the promise will be faithful to his promise. We can get through this world, through the hardships of this world, through the joys of this world, because we trust in the promises of God. We may not always see them come to fruition, 
but we know that they will come to fruition. The promise of forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. We can teach faithfulness to our children by imitating God, by keeping the promises we've made, we've made to those we've promised. And I think that is the biggest way to show our faithfulness to our, uh, to help the sh- show that faithfulness to our children and help them learn, is that it's so easy to, um, we need to have, and we'll, as we're going into other areas, but we need to have that understanding and that awareness that our kids listen, our our, our boys listen, and our they hear what we say and they um, expect for us to do what we say. Um, if it means, if it comes from correction, if we say we're going to correct in a certain way, then we need to follow through with that promise and correct in the way that we say we're going to correct. If we promise to do something, we need to follow through with that promise. And the thing is that because we because we are not perfect, we're going to make a promise that we can't keep. And it's especially in those times that we need to be aware of of the faithfulness of God and that I think we need to take an opportunity to um, explain to, especially to our kids as they're still learning. I think as, as adults we kind of understand that um, there is some fallacy in, in our own lives and that as much as we had the good intentions to do something, sometimes it doesn't happen that way. But to, uh, for them to understand... Um, that though we thought we could keep and we cannot, that we teach them that this is not, that we are flawed and it's not a picture of what God truly is, that God keeps the promises that he makes and that even though we may fail to keep a promise, it's an opportunity for us to teach about God and to teach that he is faithful to his promises even when when as a father or as a mother we cannot be or as a friend. And so we understand as an adult said that we understand this within each other, I think, those in the faith that um, well we need to be held to our promises and we shouldn't make promises um, idly. Life happens and things happen. Things come up sometimes that forces us not to be able to keep a promise. And luckily we know that this will never happen for God, that there is nothing that could come in this world, nothing that will come in this universe that will ever stop God from keeping his promise. And so it's something that we can focus on to teach our children. And that's um, my biggest take here on the faithfulness is that as we teach that faithfulness, the opportunity to show that even though we may not always be able to be faithful, God is always faithful, that there's nothing that will stop him from keeping the promises that he has made. And just to remember these examples of the faith, of people reaching out, of acting out on things not seen and trusting the word of God, which means that we need to be constantly in God's word to know the promises of God so that we know what we put our faith in and so that we know what promises are still to come and what promises we have to look forward to. And so the promise of resurrection, the promise of life, life eternal. So that means putting these on our heart and diligently walking by this way and striving each day to live according to to his word so that we understand the promises and we can continue to have that faith because we know that the one who promised is faithful, even in those times that we are not faithful. Um, We'll pause. Randy, if you want to pause it for this second, or for a few seconds, we'll um, open it up to any discussion. All right, we're paused. You guys are safe. All right, Randy has a short pause. We can get on going. The next of the fruit of the Spirit, as we're getting uh, 
towards the end is gentleness. Um, the Greek was praotes. Uh, One of these days, I'm going to have to take a great class just to get these to get these out properly. Um, and then this gentleness, it was that um, the definition that they had was that meekness. It was like a, it was a meekness, and a, um, and again they go with the with the gentleness. Um, there wasn't as quite as many cross references to the exact term that Paul was using, um, but we do see um, in a few examples. I'll go to them. The first, if you want to flip there, is First Corinthians four, um, fourteen through twenty one. And says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some become arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For for the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. What do you desire? That I come to you with a rod, or with a love and a spirit of gentleness? Again, in Colossians um, three twelve through 17, we see Paul writing, and, and he touches on the subject of gentleness. Uh, Colossians three twelve through 17. So those who have been chosen by, of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bound of unity. Let the peace of God, uh, let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing with one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, through him to God the Father. <clears throat> and we have two, uh, well, two more Galatians. We're going to flip to Galatians, just six, the first two verses. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And this, um, as they talk about the, as Paul talks about, right, the person's caught in any wrongdoing, I do want to flip to um, what is, I think, my favorite Example of this is in John eight, um, with God, oh, with Jesus, with the adulterous woman. Uh, we will flip. Uh, we will flip there and starting in verse, uh, and starting at the very beginning of the verse, John eight one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. Uh, 
But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again in the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, the very act. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he gathered, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. This story to me always just... I wish I knew what he was writing on the ground. There's, there's a gentleness in the way that, that Jesus approaches her. When my children are caught in wrongdoing, I don't, necess- don't always approach with the gentleness that Jesus approaches this woman. And it's a unique situation because, um, as we have learned, and it's now way back in the day for me, it's getting longer and longer, but I'm going through... Um, the marriage and family class with, with Dr. Stokes at Cal Baptist, we learned about adultery and fornication and how oftentimes in the Bible the adultery mentioned is not the adultery that we what we think of. We think of adultery as, as being unfaithful when that's not necessarily what adultery is, when it's the, it's the actual marrying and unmarrying uh, after being married. But that the fornification laws are what we kind of now come into as what we think is modern-day adultery. So for her to be caught in adultery under this fornification law, it means that there must have been somebody else with her, and that person doesn't get brought to them. They just bring the woman to test Jesus. And so there's that gentleness that there was two guilty parties and there isn't this condemnation. There is this a gentleness to tell her simply, sin no more. And I wish that we, and we don't know what happened to this woman afterwards, if she went and, and did, you know, if she sinned no more. But how I wish with that gentleness, I can speak to my children with that meekness and tell them, sin no more. You know, be obedient to, to the rules of, of the house and, and to the rules, more importantly, to the rules of God. But ultimately, through all this gentleness, we see meekness. We don't see a, an aggressive behavior. We see... Um, as it says in Matthew, essentially that the being that innocent is doves. Um, there is even in this example you see that shrewdness of snakes, where God, where Jesus points out to to the crowd, who among you is without sin, cast the first stone. And I don't, obviously I wasn't here, but I don't picture this as a, as a yelling match, just as a softness to it, and that through that softness people understand. Oh, yeah, I, I've messed up too. And so, so quickly that we, in our own gentleness, as we, as we duel each other, that we need to have that same spirit of meekness to understand that nobody is perfect and that we really need to, why we need to hold people accountable, we need to do it out of, a, out of love and out of a humbleness and not out of an, an arrogance of, of keeping the word, but out of that, out of that gentleness.
Randy, I'll go ahead and uh, pause there. Go for it. Um, about him writing on the ground, and it it made me think that you know it didn't matter what he was writing, that it was a way for him to focus on something else for a minute so he could be gentle with the accusers. Because if he had said what he said and then looked them in the eye, then it would have goaded them into further action. And he was gentle with them by giving them the space to walk away rather than to escalate and feel that they had to be the one to cast the stone. And... When, when we speak directly to someone and, and, and pin them down in our conversation, then it escalates things rather than giving people space in his example. And um, just the way you were explaining that made all that suddenly very clear. So I just wanted to share what was going on in my head. <laughs> Um, I, uh, was thinking too that, um, even within gentleness, um, and I learned this obviously most as a parent, but it, it crosses every relational, um, line, um, as husband and wife, as friend, as daughter, as all of those things that you can, she doesn't get off the hook. She said, he says, go and sin no more. Um, and there are still consequences. And I think in the gentleness, and particularly the love aspect, our culture has perverted those words um, that with that exact story, they said, go ahead. You and you who are without sin, cast the first stone. Um, but within the terms of boundaries... Um, we can still function in a gentle way. And i that's what um, I'm hearing from all of those references and what you're having to say about that because while we can still guide our children, we can guide them in a gentle way. They don't get off the hook. Um, or within a friend, or within a parent, or whatever, that we can say to them, I value this relationship, and what you did hurt me, or whatever, but um, you don't have to do it in an aggressive manner. So it just, it's my thoughts on the, that fine balance of still holding a boundary and holding people accountable within our faith, but being gentle and meek through it. We're good to start again, Randy. This brings us to the last of the fruit of the Spirit that is listed, self-control. Probably right up there with patience on on a 
fruits of the Spirit that I am, I am best at. Um, again, in the Greek, and for the last time, it is inkratia. It means, the definition provided was self-mastery and self-restraint. Um, the first uh, section that I have um, that relates to the, the use of self-control comes from Second Peter um, 1 through uh, one through eleven. To those who received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace. Be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. For His divine power has granted us, to, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Through these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Um, Instead of jumping on to the next verse, I do want to stop and and mentioned here. They talk about, uh, Peter lists, you know, he goes in a line and he says, um, applying all diligence in your faith, uh, supplying to moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and your godliness, brotherly kindness, and your brotherly kindness, love. It's amazing how many of the fruit of the Spirit we see in this section um, and how much of that re- comes to diligence in our faith. And how much they relate to each other. Because Paul lists this becomes this, and then this brings you to this. How much of our issues, I know for a lot, for me, come from the fact that I lose self-control. How much more of a situation would be, um, as we teach our children and as we interact with others, if we have that diligence to have that self-control in our actions and in our words, how much more of a situation would it allow us to then act in that kindness and act in that love, all because we were able to maintain self-control. It's not an easy task, but the benefits that we find of it, it I think Peter writes beautifully, is that it, it, it compounds into different aspects and ultimately allows us to live more abundantly the faith and more abundantly the way that we should be living um, and making it, um, and as he says, that we, we don't stumble. How much of our stumbling comes from the lack of, of self-control? Um, I'm going to jump to James 1, 19 through 27. 
I think we have been in James each each week here. Starting in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which was able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely uh, hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, the man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Um, in this reference, we don't actually see this, the cross-reference of the, of the self-control, um, but Jeff alluded to in his series the importance of taming the tongue, the self-control that comes with um, that's required in taming the tongue. It's not an easy task. How easy is it for us to um, say a curse word, to say, to partake in gossip, to partake... Um, it's the area, I think, that most of us probably have the least amount of self-control and so a good reminder that as we strive um, to have these fruit of the Spirit abundant in our life, that taming of the tongue in our word is a very, a very important place that we focus our self-control because so much of the things come out of our mouth that we don't necessarily mean to say, but it's the way, it's, it's the actions in anger. It's where we don't speak with a gentle tongue. Um, so much damage comes from the mouth out of the out of our inside, and we just we can do so much damage. And so it's an important um, it's just an important reminder. Um, and Jeff did a great job, but remember of the importance of self control, especially as it comes comes to the tongue and taming what we say and how we use our words. Um, and then finally, uh, our final verse is going to be in Romans seven. And it's going to be uh, verses 14 through 25. Starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh and sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that that is, in my flesh. For the willing is is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am going, if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, and the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, 
But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. And so, uh, a lot of us are very familiar with this verse, but we see Paul essentially doing things. Too often he does the things he does not want to do and does not do the things he ought to do. And looking at this in this section, it brought me to the remembrance of self-control and understanding that we, we, struggle, with, we struggle with our flesh. Our flesh, we are not perfect, and, and ever since sin entered the, entered the world, we have, we, have battled the, we have battled the flesh. Too often we cannot do what we need to do, and, and we don't do, and we do what we shouldn't do, and we know it. And we strive to break, to break free, and we fall, and we move along again. And it's just this vicious cycle that we hope each day we do a little better and a little better. And so I asked myself, how do we have self-control? And again, I think it comes back to kind of what Peter said, that diligence in understanding God's word. Um, but it means also patience and awareness to identify Areas where we are not great in self-control. Um, I had a friend one time tell me that when it comes to um, training and, and working out and things like that, and, and essentially getting like a, a healthier mindset, is that if you can control what you put into your body, so you don't walk by and grab that M&M that you see, or you grab you know, a couple handful of, of nuts or crackers here, that once you can control that, there's nothing you really can't do. It always kind of sh- that always kind of struck with me. Because how, how easy it is it for us to walk by and you see at work that somebody at work always has the candy dish open and how easy is it just to walk by and not even realize what you're doing. But that self-control of training your mind and your body to walk past it, to say no, and it has always been a great example to me of, of how to start applying self-control in your life, is in those small areas, is to set a small task and to have the control, self-control to do it, understanding that in that process you will mess up, but starting small and growing, and that we are never going to be, per- we're never going to reach the perfection of self-control that we would like to have, but we can steadily grow those steps. Um, and so it starts, it starts in the small and again, it has that, it, you have to be self-aware and you have to have that patience and that ability to identify areas where you don't have self-control. And a lot of that too sometimes is is that curse of an emotional response. We blurt out out of emotion. We don't think, think something through. And so because of our emotion, we blurt out something that we don't mean to say. We don't have control over our words or our actions. We do something out of, an, out of purely out of emotion. Um, much, you know, much to our uh, our detriment at times. You, you know, you think back to Cain and Abel. If if a little self control had been shown, things may have ended up a little a little differently. That if you had a, had a second to think and say, "What am I really mad at?" and identify that it's something with his own failures. You know, the whole that whole section of the Bible, you know, changes a little bit. Um, and so it's those, 
those little things in, in self-control, I think, is that, like I said, that smart, those small things, and we have to let it grow, and we have to have the patience and forgiveness with ourselves to realize, I've messed up, got to start over, we're starting back on day one, and we keep going, and we keep building, and instead of making it two days, now we've made it five, and then next thing you know, we're up to 10 to 12, and then we start growing it in the bigger areas, and that we can, when events that have an emotional trigger to us, we can take a second to step back and have hopefully have that self-control to respond with gentleness, with kindness, with goodness, with love. And, and so that, that is how I see is the best way to develop that self-control. I'll pause here um, for some quick thoughts and then we will conclude. We used to have a phrase, somebody was a gentleman. But that didn't mean the guy was a wuss. He still could knock your block off, but he was self-controlled and therefore was gentle in the way he addressed. I really think that those are somehow connected. You're not going to be able to be gentle, that is, have a light hand in what you're doing if you don't have self-control. So I, I think those things are connected, and it's interesting, and you pointed it out in the text that you have, that those groups of characteristics show up in various places in the scripture because they, they play with one another, they interact with one another. They're, they're really a combined thing, not separate, discrete items, you know. Um, I'm going to go back to faithfulness. Um, out of the fruits that you've spoken of, I'm I'm having trouble picturing that in practicality. Like I can see myself um, how I'm not, or moments where I'm not self-controlled or not gentle. Can you give examples of? ways in which we are faithful or unfaithful. Maybe that'll help me clear that in my head. I think the, I guess I think some of the faithfulness comes in our, in our own actions and how we relate to others and in mentioning those promises and, and how we display faithfulness where people can have their, not a biblical faith, but they can put their faith in our actions and in our words. And so I think one of the ways to show the, the shadow of the, of the true faithfulness is through those actions, is that we break faithfulness with someone when we don't do what we say, and we build that faithfulness when we do what we say. We can't, Bruce can't trust me because I told him, hey, you can trust me. Bruce can trust me because I said, I will, I will preach these three weeks and I showed up and, and preached these three weeks. Um, and so it's through action that I think we see that faithfulness. And I think the faithfulness of the Bible, the, the true substance, is harder to understand and grasp. I think it's, it comes to the point where we say, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Help me, with my, help me in those sections. 
But as we teach our, our friends and our children about the faithfulness, I think it's in those small moments and those small actions and really the shadow of the true substance of what this faithfulness, faithfulness is. It's, in, daily act, in daily action, I believe it's also a combination of these fruits of the Spirit is that as we work through the, the fruit of the Spirit, it's, because this is so much about faithfulness in God, we need to self-identify where we're struggling with the promises of God and, and digging into the Word. I don't know, I may know more who's struggling with which areas, but I don't know everybody, I don't know everybody's struggles. And so as it comes to the struggle of the biblical faithfulness, of that faith in the one who promises, I think that be- comes to a point where it becomes more of a self-understanding that I'm struggling with these areas and then reaching out so that we know that the, as a community, you're struggling. Someone might be struggling in these areas, and that we can work together and help build that faithfulness and help point toward the trueness of God's word and those promises. But I think ultimately, it's we see the shadow, and that's how we build up towards the substance of faithfulness. Any last comments before we I close out? And so, um, this does conclude our um, the three-week look through the fruit of the Spirit. And while each fruit is distinct, I think as we look through these three weeks, it's impossible to have just one and not the others. And so they are working together um, as a unit, as a, um, as a true fruit salad, as you, if you were, that they come together. And it's very hard to have to practice love and not then have these other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And when we practice love, we see the gentleness, we see the kindness. When we have that hope, um, when we have our own hope, we know that there's that faithfulness, that our hope comes from that faithfulness, that God is going to do what he promises. That as we raise our children, that we teach through our own self-control, we are able to show them gentleness and kindness. And so I, it is my hope that as we go through here, the, and as we continue our, our walk, is that we can look at these, and we don't just leave them here, but we practice them. We, we work on cultivating them in our own lives, and that we diligently look back at them and look at other areas where we see these, um, these fruits displayed within the Bible and as an example. And then we diligently look for it in our own lives. With our, with our boys, I, we try and point out when someone shows them kindness or something does goodness so that they learn to recognize it in other people's actions towards them and that we can see that the fruit of the Spirit is not just something that is written down, but that there is actually, that we can see the, the actual fruit in, in life. Hey, Adam. Hold on one second. <laughs> moment apparently um, I will go ahead and close this out in prayer and um, we will then uh, conclude Heavenly Father Lord Daddy.